you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. This is Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, we're coming here with another great podcast. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Thanks for being here. Who knew we'd do like another podcast? Did you know there's over like almost a thousand podcasts on the Chris Voss Show? I can't even keep track. We like doubling and keep tripling our audience numbers. In fact, it looks like they're going to triple or quadruple again this year, just on the first month of the new year of 12 years of doing this. So be sure to go back and listen to some of those. Listen to this one. This is an important one to listen to because this is the newest one. It has that new shiny smell to it, like a new car. But uh, listen to the old ones because they're still really good, especially some of those ones that kind of have that musty old car smell. I don't know why we got started on cars this morning but it sounded good to me so hopefully it sounds good to you anyway guys to watch the video version of this there's a video version it's free for an unlimited time on youtube you just go on there as long as google's still in business and you can subscribe to the chris foster channel and watch all the great videos of people because it sure beats listening i don't know maybe i don't know it's up to you. Go to goodreads.com for just Chris Voss. See everything we're reading and reviewing over there. See all our groups, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, wherever the cool kids are playing. That's where we put up uh, all sorts of uh, additional noise for the Chris Voss show. So we're excited to announce my new book is coming out. It's called Beacons of Leadership, Inspiring Lessons of Success in Business and Innovation. It's going to be coming out on October 5th, 2021. And I'm really excited for you to get a chance to read this book. It's filled with the multitude of my insightful stories, lessons, my life, and experiences in leadership and character. I give you some of the secrets from my CEO entrepreneur toolbox that I use to scale my business success, innovate, and build a multitude of companies. I've been a CEO for, uh, what is it, like uh, 33, 35 years now. We talk about leadership, the importance of leadership, how to become a great leader, and how anyone can become a great leader as well. So you can pre-order the book right now wherever fine books are sold, but the best thing to do on getting a pre-order deal is to go to beaconsofleadership.com. That's beaconsofleadership.com. On there, you can find several packages you can take advantage of in ordering the book. And for the same price of what you can get it from someplace else like Amazon, you can get all sorts of extra goodies that we've taken and given away. Uh, different collectors, limited edition, custom-made numbered book plates that are going to be autographed by me. There's all sorts of other goodies that you can get when you buy the book from beaconsofleadership.com. So be sure to go there, check it out, or order the book wherever fine books are sold. Did you amazing author he's written like uh, i don't know one or two books or 20 30 i will have to ask him how many i forgot to ask him in the green room but evidently uh i don't know he's been alive for 100 years evidently for the amount of time he takes to write books but he is on here with his newest book and guess what it is hot off the presses today they sent me a copy and it burnt my fingers the title of the book is called the nameless one thriller 
This is number 19 in a series of the Charlie Parker series. Came out today, John Connolly is going to be sharing the show with us today. He'll be sharing the show. Not on the show, but he will be sharing the show. I don't know what that's about. Do I have to give him royalties? Anyway, guys, he is the author of the Charlie Parker series of thrillers. The Supernatural Collection, Nocturnes. The Samuel Johnson Trilogy for Younger Readers. Chronicles of the Invaders series. He lives in Dublin, Ireland. And we have him on the show live. Who knew that was going to happen? It usually always does. Welcome, John. I'm very well, thank you. I'm slightly hurt at being described as 100 years old. I've got some gray hairs. I'm you know, a man of my advancing years. These are inevitable. I mean, be fair. Be that's, fair. That's, that's, be quite, fair. That's, quite, that's quite mean. You look like, what are you, 50 with a hard life? You know, you know? I just barely <laughs> wrote my first book this month at 63, John. Like, it's going to yeah. take me another 53 I don't, I don't, years like, I don't to write a book. John. Unlike you, I don't have a proper job, so I just need to fill my days somehow, or else I'm just going to be standing at three corners smoking and whistling at girls, and that's just going to get me into trouble. So, so we probably should clarify this. How many books do you have? Because I lost, I couldn't count that high. I think this is 33, I think. 33? Yeah, I just, yeah, I, I slacked off there towards the, just the end of the last decade. Uh, I got distracted by, by something on Netflix, and uh, it never got the time back. Ah, that'll do it. And Netflix yeah, gets yeah, you every yeah, time. Fall yeah. down that hole. So, John, welcome to the show. Congratulations on the special. new book. Give us your plugs so people can find you on the interwebs. You can go to johnconnollybooks.com and everything you need to know about me and more that you didn't really care to know about me will be available to you there. <laughs> everything you didn't well, there you go. John, why did you decide to write the 33, 34th book? I don't know. I sat down and thought, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write 33 books. And eventually that Chris Voss guy, he's going to come along. He's, he's going to want to talk to me. Not just all his big shot Hollywood friends. He's going to want to talk to somebody, somebody Irish. You know, yeah. one of the chosen people in our case. Uh, you you know, guys are, especially Irish when it comes to the whiskey. As the yeah. chosen people. Um, I didn't. I Like most people, I, I wrote my first book back in the 90s and was completely taken aback when somebody said they wanted to publish it. And I think most writers feel that way. You work alone, you think no one's ever going to want to publish me. And then somebody comes along and publish, says, oh, we'd like to publish it. And your first instinct, the first thing you say is, can I have it back and I'll do it properly then? You know, this something awful has happened. And it takes a long time for you to come to terms with the fact that you're published. For years, I lived really? in fear of, of opening my door and there would be two huge guys there saying, We've come to reclaim all the stuff that you bought with the book money because that a terrible mistake has been made. And they would come in and go, that nice TV there, did you buy that with our money? And you go, yeah, and they take the TV away. And eventually it's just you and, and the cat and the stool that your mum gave you when you moved into your first place. <laughs> so I kind of got taken by surprise. And, and now I'm still slightly shocked that, that, I, that I got this far and that I have, that I have all of these books. It, it seems very strange. Um, it yeah, and this is your very first novel. You started in 1999, the Parker series, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I took, unlike it, it took me about five years to write it. I was working as a journalist for the Irish Times, which wasn't a bad way to do it because I would actually agree to take night shifts just so I could sit in there very quietly and work away. And, and the only thing you were afraid was that the Pope would die. If the Pope died you were in trouble because the front page would have to be changed. Uh, but otherwise, that was the only disaster that might happen. And I remember it was me, and they would leave one sub-editor in the newspaper, just in case, like I said, the Pope died. And what I remember, he had trouble with his back, I seem to remember. And so he would do these quite 
ornate yoga exercises to take away the pain. So whenever I looked at him, he would be standing on his head. Now, would that be the Pope or the editor that was in your well, office? Well, the, 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 the current Pope looks like he could probably do it. The previous guy, I don't think he was doing much standing on his head. Okay. Uh, yeah, but this sub-editor, would be, he would be standing on his head with his, with his feet against the wall. So he clearly didn't want to be disturbed. And so I would just write away quietly yeah. in the corner. And so much of my first book was written in those quiet moments, praying that, that you know, Pope John Paul would, would keep talking about football. Being in the corner and standing on her head is uh, when the girls come over on Friday. Anyway. Oh. That's an image of you that I did not need. Yeah, we, we call know, it really, Fridays. You know, put your pants back on, Chris. You've got visitors. Wait, I, I'm supposed to wear pants for this? Anyway, guys, uh, this is why some people just listen to the show. But uh, <laughs> thankfully, there's the bull of the fold, as they like to call it, on the uh, websites there. No, I'm just kidding. I have pants on, people. I just lost my no-pants audience. Anyway, so you've written 19 of these. This is the 19th in the series. Yeah, you just you really just pop these books out and, and have done a hell of a job. So let's talk about who is this Charlie Parker in the 19th, the book of the series. Well, Parker is is a private investigator. And oddly enough, he barely figures in this book. Much of this book is given over to, he has two acolytes, two colleagues called Angel and Louis. And this is really their book. I wanted, I've always liked globetrotting thrillers, those thrillers where suddenly they're in France and the next minute they're in Spain and they're hopping off airplanes. And I'd always wanted to write one. And, and it, curiously, I ended up writing one at a time when nobody could go anywhere. We were all stuck indoors in Ireland. You weren't allowed to go more than five kilometers from your house without the police knocking on your window asking you what you thought you were doing. And so it seemed quite odd to be writing a book about people hopping on and off planes. And yet there's something lovely. One of the things we learned, I think, during lockdown and all of this awful unpleasantness that's happened over the last year or so, was the value of escape, whether it's it's listening to a podcast or watching a TV show, often something from your youth that you enjoyed, or reading a novel or watching a movie. Suddenly you got taken out of this awful situation for just a couple of hours and, and you got to leave it all behind you. So in, in that sense, it's quite nice to be publishing where people can still travel without wearing a mask or without fear of it. And I'm sure down the line... When I'm writing the next book, I'm going to have to take into account everything that's happened. But but this book, it's set before it all. And there was a kind of freedom in that. There you go. I, we had the same thing with the podcast. I'm like, we have a captured audience. People are sitting at home listening, uh, consuming content. So it's really good. So give us a, a bit more arcing overview of the book and some of the details inside. Or like, sure, well, like we call them the deets. The deets, yeah. They were, the young people. Are you down with the young people? The young folk, Chris? No. Uh, you know, it, it, it's... What happens in, in a friend of Louis, an old friend of Louis, is killed by by a group of Serbian criminals, and mm. it, it's their farewell to Europe. They're going to Always kill them, and then they're going home. They're going back to Serbia, and there will be no chance of getting them there. There's no way they're going to be extradited. And then, unfortunately, the guy who was looking after them in Serbia gets blown up, mm. and so they're they're left to try to negotiate a way to get back to Serbia. And at the same time, Louis is coming to look for them. He is coming to hunt them down. And they realize that this net is closing as one by one they're picked off. And so you have this sense of almost like rats caught in a trap. Mm. They need to get away from this guy. He is closing in on them. They're trying to negotiate their way back to Serbia. And if they can't, they'll kill their way back. And all the time, Louis is inexorably approaching. So I like that idea, that idea of these. And what I also want to do is it's very easy to write bad guys and make people hate them. I want the reader to not quite be on their side, but to respect their the tenacity with which they fight. You know, they're desperate to get out of this trap. They'll do anything. So we have this ingenuity 
as they keep trying to find ways to get back home and those ways keep being closed off to them. Mm, the suspense, the thrill. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not hiring you. Yeah, once I, I remember doing a, a, a book tour in Australia and literally they hired a guy who was like a carnival barker to stand outside the bookstore with a microphone. Okay, everybody, roll up, roll up. You'll come see the Irish guy who writes books. Roll up, everybody, roll up. It was really weird. It was short of just getting a dancing bear in beside me. Well, the thing about novels is I can never ask you what happens at the end. If it's a political uh, nonfiction author we have on, I, I, I always joke with them. I go, what happens at the end? And they're like, uh, Trump gets impeached. Uh, give us some more tidbits. Uh, give me some juicy teasers, if you would. Juicy of, teasers. Well, juicy yeah. Teasers. You know, I, one of the things I had to do, curiously was I, I can't write about places I haven't been. Mm. I'm not that really imaginative. I need to go. So what it, what it involved was obviously going to, to Serbia, uh, which mm. is not a country that actually is big on the tourist trail on this side of the world. A lot of you Russians and Eastern Europeans go to Serbia. Mm. Western tourists, not really. And so the street signs, often they're in the Cyrillic alphabet. So it can be quite a, a struggle to find your way around. But one of the things I was interested in was there is a subculture called the Vlach in, in Serbia. And they're regarded as the last great bastion of witchcraft. And people, in if you're in trouble, if you're having trouble with your job, with your love life, with a neighbor who's annoying you, won't give you back your lawnmower, or whatever it might be. <laughs> That's always you there. can go. You can go to the Vlach. They're they're in it. They're linked to they're they're sort of Romanians, and their they, their territory is be, is beside the Danube. And you can go to them, and they will sort you out. They will they will they will find a way to for you to get the loved one you want, or get a better job, or get your lawnmower back, whatever it might be. And I thought it would be really interesting to go and talk to some of the Vlach witches. And it's quite after we're talking a couple of days before Halloween. Huh? One of yeah. the problems you run into is that actually witches don't really look like they do on Halloween. It can be quite, it would be great if you went to a, a village and there's a woman with quite a long pointy hat <laughs> and a little yeah. wart on her nose and you go, you would by any chance be the local witch, would you? And lo and behold, your problems are solved. Um, and so I hired a, a lovely driver and we said, he said, what are we going to be doing for the next couple of days? And I said, well, actually, are we going to be looking at ruins? And I said, well, we can look at ruins along the way, but maybe we're going looking for, for a witch. And so we hopped in the car and drove to the what is believed this town in, in Serbia by the Danube that, that is the centre of the Vlach community. And of course you arrive and it's a nice town with coffee shops and people pushing prams and nobody who remotely resembles, you know, the stereotypical witch. And I realised that I hadn't thought the whole thing through. I'd been hoping that I'd arrive in something that looked like a Hammer Horror film set. And, you know, with, a, with an innkeeper going, you don't want to be here after nightfall. And so the, the, the driver and I just wandering around thinking, what the hell are we going to do now? And we found a museum that wasn't open, but had a sign on the door saying, if you'd like to visit the museum, ring the doorbell and somebody will come. So we rang the doorbell and a lovely lady came along and she only spoke Swedish and Serbian. Okay, neither of which I'm very fluent in. Okay, by which I don't speak Swedish or Serbian. But the driver thankfully spoke a little bit of Ser a bit of English and a lot of Serbian. And so she shows around the museum and she said, What are you doing here? And he said, The guy over there, he'd like to meet somebody from the Vlach who knows a bit about witchcraft. And she said, The guy who put in my shelves in the kitchen, he's Vlach, and he'd probably know a bit. And so this lovely woman called up this guy, and we met him in this deserted village. I actually ended up in my deserted village. Near deserted. I think it had about 600 houses and 200 inhabitants because most people had left. There was one store and a lot of stray dogs. And for a couple of hours, he, sat, he very politely 
talked about the Blatch and witchcraft. They, they make these very ornate tombs because they believe that after you die, your soul has to spend about seven years on Earth. And so mm. it needs somewhere to be. So they build it. They'll put a TV in the tomb. There'll be a Serious? Sofa, yeah, a nice carpet. But they put a bit of effort into it because they figure down the line, they'll have to use it. You know, do you need, do they give me your remote? Hopefully, you know, remote. Jeez. Yeah, you know, I, I think but the practical <laughs> benefits of the television are probably less just for, for show sake. And, and, and at the end of it, I one of the things I wanted to do, we are planning a book and I was still thinking about it. I said, well, I was thinking maybe of using mines because I quite like the idea of something coming from deep beneath the earth. I have these supernatural elements in my books. And this is where it got really strange. The, the lovely Latch guy said, he said, we don't have mines around here. He said, you'd have to go a little bit further south to bore, they have mines. But he said they have a problem, he said. They dug too deep, and now they have trouble with demons. And he wasn't smiling. He wasn't smiling or laughing. And the woman from the museum, she wasn't smiling or laughing either. And suddenly my poor driver, he didn't look terribly happy about it. And we're, so we're standing in this darkening village as the sun was going down, and I said to him, but do you have problems with demons? And he said, no, we don't have problems with demons. He said, we have problems with vampires. And he wasn't smiling. And the lady who was with us wasn't smiling. And the driver certainly wasn't smiling. We looked at each other and thought, I think we're about done here. Thanks very much. And we'll go back to, we're going back to Belgrade. And it seems, talking about it, those myths persist there. This is Carpathia. This is where Dracula was set. Yeah. And when you're in a Carpathian village and the sun is going down in winter and somebody is telling you, I think we have problems with vampires. You're inclined to take the man. Yeah, I'd be like, uh, maybe we won't go out to dinner tonight. Huh? Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, we, maybe we'll cancel the picnic. You yeah. know, those woods, they look lovely. I don't want to find those out. Those woods are lovely, dark and deep, to quote the poet. But yeah, yeah, it didn't seem like a good idea. But it was fascinating. Those folk beliefs were really persistent there. Now, I don't know what this guy thought a vampire was or what precisely the nature of the threat would be but yeah i didn't want to hang around to find out quite frankly whoa i've never i'm pretty well like i know a lot of stuff like i i know a lot of stuff i have never heard of this and i've been googling it as we've been talking this is extraordinary yeah, it's like, yeah, it's how distant we've become from a lot of these belief systems. In Western Europe, we go, yeah, we've got our, we've got our cities, and we even we don't even trust folk medicine as much anymore because a lot of this is folk medicine. One of the things that really curious things was that the lady from the museum said that when her mother died, the Vlach witches, the Vlach lady, you don't call them witches, but essentially that's what they are. They would come along and stand around the coffin because one of the beliefs is that if you Let's say you're having a problem with your neighbor, the lawnmower guy, okay? If you can go around to his house and take something of his, let's say you take his pocket handkerchief, you get a lock of his hair, you take one of his keys. And if you drop it in a coffin and then the coffin is sealed and buried, a couple of days later, that guy's going to die. Okay, it's a really, it's a really, if you really wanted that lawnmower back and you were getting really sick of sending around to it. And so what, what, quite often what will happen is that the blatch, you will engage some of these ladies to mind the coffin just to ensure that nobody who has a grudge decides to, to, to interfere with it and stick something in the coffin. Wow. I, I was just thinking, and suddenly that seemed like, because, you know, in Ireland we still have wakes occasionally and i'm thinking yeah. well, that's a really good way to get back at somebody to kind of go and the, the other thing is if you did it and then said afterwards you know <laughs> that long war you didn't give back to me remember when i came around to your house and you couldn't find your favorite bottle opener 
mm-hmm. in, my, it's in my dad's coffin with him. And pretty soon you're going that way. I suspect that, it, that what it would do to your nerves, even if you didn't quite believe it, I suspect that you'd be quite uncomfortable afterwards. Definitely. Note to self, return the vice jokes <laughs> to the neighbors. A McDonald homage there. I've been reading is so I thought I'd do a lot. I've been reading as you've been, as you've been talking. And here's a Reddit thread that says one of their ritual practices of the Vlach witches, they bathe dead bodies, then use the water to make coffee. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I can't, I don't know. I think there's also, there's quite a lot of kind of stuff said about them that isn't entirely, that, 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 that coffee thing sounds, sounds a bit dubious to be perfectly honest. Sounds, they uh, but, but the water. other stuff, the other stuff is, is certainly my driver when we were driving said, yeah, that his, he had, he had neighbors who had gone to, to consult with the Vlach witches when they were having mm. just trouble with a job or your love life. And they'll, they'll give you a potion or they'll say a set of prayers for you because it is a mix of Catholicism and some slightly older belief systems that have, that have moved in together. But it's one of the pleasures of doing research. Yeah. You know, had I sat at home and looked at a Reddit thread or decided to make stuff up, I those little grains of truth wouldn't have made their way into a book. And one of the things about readers is that they have a very good ear for rubbish. They can spot when you're just winging it. There will be things that just won't ring true to them. And that's why I like to go to to these places and spend time talking to people. It's maybe a hangover from journalism as well. I think that almost any life, and I guess you probably feel the same way given the show that you do, almost any life, if you ask the right questions, is interesting. Yeah, they're always yeah, usually people, interesting. People yeah. have led, even though they don't think of themselves as interesting, they, they will often have done things that no one else has done. There will be something from their past or their family's past that's interesting. And you just have to give them the time to talk about it. And if you do that and listen, they will. you'll learn stuff. You'll come out with interesting stuff. Yeah, I'm going to be like, after you get off the show, I'm going to be like, the next four hours, I'm just going to cruise the internet looking at Vlatch Witch stuff. This is this is pretty wild. Uh, if yeah, and the next time someone comes, someone's comes live on your show, they're, you're going to offer them coffee and they think, I don't think so, Chris. Yeah, I don't th- I, I don't in fact, know. I'm probably going to, that's normal. That's uh, Thursday around here. <laughs> Make their talismans from the hair of illegitimate children and they slip it into water to bathe the blind cat, thus making their husbands blind to cheating husbands. So, how much? What did you use some of the Vlach witch magic in the book? I, no, just I, I like the backdrop to it. There is a, there is a character called Zaria in the books. Uh-huh. There is to be a child, but when you get quite close to her, you, you can see actually she's actually just something much much older. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of that, not necessarily the Vlach stuff, but some of that folk history fed into mm-hmm. it. And I like giving the books those textures. Like I said to you, uh, my books all have a little element of the supernatural to them. And that may come, being perfectly honest, from being Irish. Irish people have always been very comfortable with, with that notion. You know, science, most crime novels, certainly American crime novels, are very, they deal with, there's a, there's a murder, there's an investigation, there's a killer, there's a solution. Mm-hmm. And I've never liked those supernatural elements, by and large, apart from maybe somebody like James Lee Burke. Mm-hmm. In Ireland, we... We're quite comfortable with keeping the rational and the anti-rational side by side. We're a Catholic country. It's it's hard to be Catholic and entirely rational. You have to allow a little bit of leeway for, for the strangeness in life. And I suppose that's why, even though my books are set in the United States, I've spent a lot of time there. I've worked there. I have a house there. I pay some taxes there. The little Irish part, that fascination with the darkness, with the strangeness of the world, creeps into them and makes them a little bit different, I think. 
Well, you write thrillers, so it probably makes them a little bit more juicy and gives them. Yeah, a- I, I just don't want to write a, a straightforward thriller. Doesn't, and I wouldn't be able to. There's something just slightly bent about me. If you gave me a, a skewer, it would turn into a corkscrew, probably. That I like that idea of giving. And you know, if you want to read very straightforward thrillers, there are plenty of them out there. There's no shortage of them. Yeah. There are perhaps fewer books that mix it up a little bit. There you go. Anything more you want to tease out on the book? No, I think if you give away any more, I think oh. there's stuff that, that people can buy. What I do think, I, I often think a, a, a lot of sorry, a lot of people want to write. I think people are often curious about is how people write. And I don't really give workshops, so everything I know about writing, I can tell you in about two and a half minutes. Really? But it, but it will be reasonably valuable, I think. It's the only things I know. The first is that every, like I said, I've published 33 books now, and the 34th and 35th are on their way. Every one of them I've wanted to throw it away after about 20,000 words, every single one of them. And I think that's quite natural. And I think people who are trying to write sometimes forget that. What happens is about 20,000 words into something, I'll think, God, this isn't very good. And no one's going to want to read it. And I don't know where it's going and this plot. And at that moment, a little voice in your head comes in and goes, I'm the shiny new idea. And if you get rid of that as a false start and come with me, everything will be fine. But this is, don't worry about that one. And so you start with the shiny new idea and everything is great. 20,000 words into the want to throw it away again. And mm. so doubt is part of the process. I think it was Ray Bradbury who said that, who said writers are people who finish things. And I think somebody else said that professionals are amateurs who finish things. And that's true of anything in life. The mechanic who gives you back your car and says, yeah, we've got the brakes fixed on the front. Yeah, I didn't really bother with the back. They should be fine. You're probably not going to go back to that guy again, even if you survive the trip home. So the thing is, the really difficult thing, whether you're writing a poem, a short story, a novel, whether you're starting a song, whether you're doing a painting, is that the minute the first word or the first note or apply your paintbrush to the canvas, you have to commit to finishing. You have to commit to writing the last word to finish mm. the song, to writing the story. Because every person is born with a limited amount of creative confidence. And every time you abandon something, you chip away a little piece of that confidence and you never oh. get it back again. It oh. never comes back. So finish what you start, but know that doubt is part of the process. And now, if you would send all of the checks care of the Chris Foss show, make sure you spell my name. I'm really fussy about that. And I guarantee you, and we'll send you on a little latch token as well. In the way. There you that's go. Gonna, that's going to help you too. A little that latch token. There you go. I don't know. I'd be afraid to keep carrying that thing around. You know, what if it turns on me? The, I'm afraid You're some of the stories. It's like a whole world has opened up to you that you didn't really want to know. Thankfully, I had a lot of author friends because I could have used that when I wrote my book recently and uh, my first book. And I, I think I, I was about 50,000 words in. And there were two moments. I think the worst part was in the editing where I was ready to throw it out the window. But I think it was about 50,000 words, and I, I was calling all my friends going, you know what, F this thing, F all of it, I'm throwing it all away, I'm going to go do something else. And my friends were all like, no, no, that, this means you're almost there. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, the fact that you want to quit and throw it all away and it's all garbage, this is the sign that you're almost there. And I'm like, are it you? Is of, this kind of counterintuitive? Yeah. Uh, because it's like, like, you're like you end up in the weeds in the yeah. middle of it. The first ten or 20,000 are quite easy, relatively speaking. Yeah, that was easy, the 35,000 words. Yeah. yeah, but then it's, I, I guarantee you, it's well done that you, to get to 50,000 before you fell that way. Most people hit the wall. It's like the wall in marathon running, but that thing where you hit about 20 miles, you think, I can't do this, and then yeah. that's the point at which a lot of people drop out and probably never run a race again. Mine was a memoir, a slight book on leadership and CEO stuff. So I've been telling these stories like a griot for 53 years. And so the first pounding out the book, there's 35,000 words were easy. 
in the last part. And then really the, the biggest pain in the butt came over the structure and people going, well, you should put that part over there and this part over there. And, and then I think I wrote 60. And then at the end, I was like, what do we do with all this crap? There's a whole second book, I think, on the floor, cutting room floor. But you know what that is. This is awesome. It's been fun to talk to you, John. You're you're awesome. In fact, uh, let's have you on for the future books because uh, we'll just schedule now since you already wrote them. Do you see the Charlie Parker series? This is probably something a fan would like me to ask. Do you see the Charlie Parker series continuing on and on? I know you dabble with some of your other series. Yeah, I, I, I still enjoy it. When I began writing the books, I was 25, and I'm, I'm a very youthful 53 now. Mm. And this is where you leap in and go, yeah, yeah, God, of course, yeah. Thank, thanks, Chris. Yeah, thanks for just laughing in my face. Well, no, uh, you've done 33 books, and we're both Yeah, I know. Yeah, whatever. It's too 53. late now. I'm trying. I'm trying to put now. You missed your, missed your opportunity. You missed your cue. I'm hurt. I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. I was 25 when I began writing them. And I, I like looking at the world through his eyes. The, the books have... He's aged as I've aged, and the books are different. I couldn't leave him. One of the things in mystery fiction is often that you leave your character around 40 to 50, because that's the age where you can still kick your door down, and women still might find you mildly attractive if the lighting is right. I remember I used to love Robert B. Parker. Spencer, Spencer books were one of those series that I read when I was younger, and, and, and they were great fun. But he, Spencer never really seemed to get old. And, you know, yeah. and Robert B. Farker was writing these novels for 50 years. There would be discussions between Spencer and his girlfriend in the 1990s or 2000s about whether they should have a child. And you'd hang, hang on a second, you served in Korea and you were dating her then. But it's not going to happen now. That's barren ground. You'd be lucky. No, no, no amount of Viagra is going to help you in that situation. So get a dog. And so I'm trying to let Parker get older. And so the books have changed a little bit. But yeah, I still like doing them. What would I do? I don't have any skills. You know, I don't. I, I don't know you, have, I do. you do have some skills. You've written 30 books. Yeah, but other than that, my, I, oh, my dream, yeah. I, at one point when I was younger, I wanted to be a vet. But then I thought I'm going to spend most of my time. I thought being a vet would be lovely because I used to watch yeah. old Creatures Great and Small, that, yeah. BBC, that TV series. And I'd be riding around the Yorkshire Vales patting dogs rather than having my hand halfway up cow's arse. And then I thought, actually, that's probably not going to be something I want to do. So... I can either write or I can live on the streets. Or both. I think there's some writers that do that. So uh, these, you alluded that you have two new two books coming out right after this, 34 and 35, do you say? Are those par- both Parker books? The Parker book for next year is done. That will be out this time next year, actually next August. And then on this side of the Atlantic, there's a book out to, day after tomorrow, which is a different book, which mm. is a history of Irish genre fiction. Because I was stuck during lockdown and I don't do jigsaws. You know, oh, yeah. should, have, yeah, should have really found a hobby or, or made little models or something like that. And instead, I, I wrote a history of genre fiction because that, that's what you do when you leave the house. Yeah. You well, know? And your other half says to you, I'm sick of looking at you. Go and do something useful. I think that was my memoir, Half Fiction. I don't know at this point. It's the memory has faded over 53 years. John, it's been wonderful and fun to have you on. We that's love been our a pleasure, Chris. Thank you for having me as a guest. Thank you. Uh, give us your plugs, John, so that people can find you on the interwebs in order. Okay, uh, you can find me at johnconnellybooks.com is the website. There's a contact John through that, and I'm on Twitter at John Connolly Books and I, at Jay Connolly Books. And I think I'm on Facebook, but I don't tend to look at Facebook because Facebook is really bad now, as we've all decided. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I, if I'm on Facebook, I'm really sorry. 
<laughs> no, it's still good. I mean, whatever. Hopefully, they'll uh, do something with that Zuck guy or something. Well, thanks for coming on the show. We certainly thanks. appreciate Continued it. Continued success to you, Chris. You're a gentleman. And you too, as well, my friend. I'm going to try and catch up to you. Since we're both 53, I'm going to try and catch up to you, and I'll see if I can bang. Oh, Chris, you're not 53. You look so young. You no. see, that's what you say. How hard would it? I'm 53. I got one book put out this October 5th, and... You've put out 33, so I'll try and do 10 books a year for the next three years and see if okay. I can catch up yeah, that to can you, be but... That can be your task. I don't know. I got, I got to remember a lot of crap in my past. But check out the new book, guys. Order it up. It's hot off the presses today, so you want to get it. Be the first one on your block, your book club, to read it and say, I read it first. The Nameless Ones, a thriller, number 19 in the Charlie Parker series, uh, is out today. You can pick that baby up internationally or wherever fine books are sold. To my audience, uh, go to YouTube.com for chess chris voss see this fun interview for free for an unlimited time on youtube hit the bell notification button go to goodreads.com for chess chris voss see all the groups on facebook linkedin twitter instagram all those places where all the crazy kids play uh be good to each other stay tuned and we'll see you guys next time so we're excited to announce my new book is coming out it's called beacons of leadership inspiring lessons of success in business and innovation it's going to be coming out on october 5th 2021 and i'm really excited for you to get a chance to read this book it's filled with a multitude of my insightful stories lessons my life and experiences in leadership and character i give you some of the secrets from my ceo entrepreneur toolbox that i use to scale my business success innovate and build a multitude of companies i've been a ceo for uh, what is it like uh, 33 35 years now we talk about leadership the importance of leadership, how to become a great leader, and how anyone can become a great leader as well. So you can pre-order the book right now wherever fine books are sold. But the best thing to do on getting a pre-order deal is to go to beaconsofleadership.com. That's beaconsofleadership.com. On there, you can find several packages you can take advantage of in ordering the book. And for the same price of what you can get it from someplace else like Amazon, you can get all sorts of extra goodies that we've taken and given away. Uh, different collectors, limited edition, custom-made numbered book plates that are going to be autographed by me. There's all sorts of other goodies that you can get when you buy the book from beaconsofleadership.com. So be sure to go there, check it out, or order the book wherever fine books are sold.